Exodus chapter 7. And the Lord said to Moses, See, I've made you as God to Pharaoh, and Aaron your brother shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you. And Aaron your brother shall tell Pharaoh to send the children of Israel out of his land. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh will not heed you so that I may lay my hand on Egypt and bring my armies and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great judgments. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them. And Moses and Aaron did so just as the Lord commanded them, so they did. And Moses was 80 years old, and Aaron 83 years old, and they spoke to Pharaoh. Now, although the lifespan, the lifespan was greater back in those days, and people lived to over a century old, that lifespan was diminishing as time went on mankind feeling the effects of the fall in the years allotted for him upon the earth still 80 years old and 83 years old was certainly getting up in years even back then. How do we know that? Because Abraham was considered old and Sarah also. As they were nearing a hundred and ninety years of age respectively. This is the beginning of the wonders, the signs as a demonstration, the beginning of the plagues. In this chapter we see God successively and successfully demonstrating his great power against the land of the enemies of his people, against the land of his enemy, this Pharaoh. When we reflect upon the book of Exodus, we know it, it is about redemption. We know that the children of Israel were in bondage and God brought redemption. We know that the bondage to redemption also led to glory by the end of the book. This is a pattern that God continues to effect in the lives of those who fear Him, who believe Him. He looks at all the things that are holding us down, holding us back, holding us under bondage. And it is God's desire that we be free. Hallelujah. The Son of Man has come to seek and save that which is lost. 
but also that we should know the truth and the truth shall set us free. God is a perfect God and he wants us to have and enjoy perfect freedom to glorify our perfect God. God is not glorified when any of his children are in bondage to anything. Whoever serves sin is meant to be free according to God's will. God doesn't keep anyone in captivity to anything to overpower them. He's a God of victory and freedom. Exodus is about the redemption from bondage leading to glory for the children of God. Exodus is about God bringing us out of every bondage and into a one-on-one encounter with him so that he can speak to us and into our lives and educate us, train us and transform us to be his people who will abide by his laws that he reveals concerning his nature, his holiness, his divine attributes. What laws do we have as believers? We have in excess of 1,000 commands in the New Testament. Even more than the Old Testament. God does not give the commands so that we can simply have them to look at from a distance and have some kind of mystical connection with the Old Covenant, but live without any obligation to keep those excess of thousand commands in the New Testament? No. He leads us from bondage by redeeming us with His holy blood that, may live, that we may live unto His glory and honor in the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. That law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus is the law of love, this agape love, that is first and foremost derived and directed back to the Lord of our lives. To love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then to love our neighbors, we love ourselves. It's a life of love, and a life of true love is a life of freedom. A life of hatred and bitterness and vengefulness, prejudice, is a life in which the person who exercises those things and is dominated by those things is in severe bondage. God forgives us of our sins and delivers us from our Egypt. And he leads us from groaning under the weight of our own sins and the weight of the oppressor, Satan, and brings us to a place of glory. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest the table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. 
Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So reads the latter half, the latter portion of Psalm 23, the famous Psalm of God being our shepherd and our provider. Exodus shows us that God brings us from being slaves to another cruel taskmaster, the devil, with all of his false promises and cruel oppression. And it gets worse and worse under his leadership and rule over our lives. Nothing good comes from the devil. Nothing good comes from the so-called life, quote-unquote, that he promises debates that he uses to keep somebody in bondage, ensnared by the kind of life that is really a living hell and living death. God brings us from groaning to glory and we're going to see that Exodus chapter 7 is the beginning of God's demonstration to the enemy. He's already demonstrated his power in part in a very introductory way to Moses and the children of Israel. Now he's going to show his mighty power increasingly to the enemy. Make the enemy let go of his people. He comes and reminds us when we feel defeated and without identity in relationship to God. He liberates us from an identity of defeat and failure and shows us that he's a God of victory. And he says, I will bring you out with a strong and mighty arm and outstretched hand. Genesis is the introduction of God giving us an intercessor to teach us how to approach him through the sacrifices and today we have the sacrifice of praise coming from our hearts and our mouths unto God continually. A lifestyle and a life that is well-pleasing to God involves continuous worship and praise unto His holy name. Now easily we can get distracted and lose our calling, our identity. And when we don't do what God has designed us to do, to bring honor to him and be connected to him in intimate fellowship, then the enemy begins to move in and occupy those areas that should be reserved only for God, namely the total life. He's moving us from being introduced to the priests, the high priest, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, to see the sacrifice that he made on the cross as the king priest for our sins through his blood. And then he leads us to a life of sacrificial praise so that he may tabernacle with us and we may tabernacle with him. God wants us to live in him and with him. This is man's highest potential to live with God and have God live with him. 
going quickly with this brief summary up until Exodus 7, we see chapter 1 is about bondage and these babies being slaughtered. Chapter 2 is about this basket that was conceived and made that would carry this baby Moses. Chapter 3 was about the burning bush encounter. Chapter 4 concerned a crisis of faith and Moses being trained by God. It was about believing God's word, God's supernatural miracles in the midst of what? This weakness and oppression. When we're at our low point, when we are at our low point, the lowest point, the burdens are not ignored by God. God sees them and he gets ready to show us what he's planned all along to deliver us from the oppression of Satan. The children of Israel had not sinned. There's no record that they sinned in any specific way. As they multiplied and prospered, Satan became furious and began to oppress them, to destroy them. God was coming as the mighty Redeemer. In Exodus chapter 4, it was this crisis of faith. Exodus chapter 5 was also a crisis of faith, but involved blaming Moses on the part of the children of Israel, particularly the officers who were involved in supervising their fellow brethren under their hard taskmaster bondage of Pharaoh. Exodus chapter 5, we see the people blaming Moses, blaming God instead of believing God in the midst of an increasingly difficult situation. And they saw, since you came and spoke, Moses, all these things, we had some hope. But now we see that we have to produce these bricks without the essential ingredient and we're being beaten. Things have gotten much worse since God moved in. It's not God, it's not the Lord that causes those things. Because he cannot be tempted with evil, neither does he tempt with evil. Although all things work together for good to them that love God and to the call according to his purpose, Romans 8.28, and although God alone can redeem our past and change our lives, he doesn't cause evil. In the increasingly difficult time we may have, just when we are trying our best and feeling the grace of God, drawing us to him even closer, those difficulties and oppositions and hostilities come from Satan in an effort to stop us and stop God. To stop God and stop us. This is when God comes, as he did in chapter 6, to give an instruction to his messenger Moses. Bring them out of Egypt. That's what God said to Moses. Because he would do it. Certainly do it. It was revealed that El Shaddai to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now it's revealed as Yahweh. With his name, I am. The self-existent one, the eternal one. 
in keeping with the memory device employing the letter B, chapter 1, bondage, baby slaughter, chapter 2, basket, baby Moses, chapter 3, burning bush encounter, chapter 4, believing God's word, chapter 5, blaming Moses, blaming God instead of believing him when things get worse. Chapter 6, bring them out of Egypt. God has spoken. God sticks with the plan. God says, I'm going to do it. Now in chapter 7, we come to the beginning of the plagues. The beginning of the plagues. We come to blood. God demonstrates a successive line and string and procession of wonders in the land of Ham, the land of Egypt, as recorded in the Psalms, taken from Exodus. He begins, he begins with this first plague of blood. We are going to continue to read here. This 80 and 83-year-old team of brothers, respectively Moses and Aaron, was spoken to by the Lord, who's watched the oppression, who had prophesied, he had predicted God, told them, it's not going to be easy to come out of this oppression, not because I'm not able to do it quickly, but there will be a demonstration of my glory upon the people, the evil spirit, the devil, who's kept in bondage. God is an awesome God sharing with uh, someone just uh, several hours ago. A brother and sister that God, when he judged these Egyptians, he told Moses, as he looked through the cloud on that dawn when the Egyptians were lured into the midst of the Red Sea which was dry and the children of Israel passed through they came and God said now stretch out your hand these waters are going to cover these Egyptians and then he took the wheels off the chariot he made it very difficult for the chariots to move he absolutely destroyed his enemy systematically taking the enemy apart he's an awesome God to be feared his children all of us rejoice in our great father because he has seen the oppression and he'll pay back the enemy not just equally according to what the enemy has done. You make another end of the enemy. Satan will be thrown into the lake of fire. We will be in heaven with God and come down as God will tabernacle with us in the new earth, the new Jerusalem. Heaven on earth where the enemy will be no more. And we will reign and rule, we'll rule and reign with God in a place where there will be no more tears, 
no more sorrow, no more hunger, no more thirst, no more pain, no more sin. We ought to get used to living with God now that we will feel right at home and God brings time and history to a close one day and we will continue with them forever. God's intent was to bring these people out to reveal his nature to them, to school them, to bless them with his covenant and to lead them right into an intimate connection with him, a place of glory and worship. God said the enemy will try to step up his game but I will meet the enemy at every turn with every wicked hostile crafty thing the enemy will do against my people I will defeat him soundly at every turn and then make an utter end of him that's God Almighty chapter 7 the beginning of the plagues blood God says look I've made you like God to Pharaoh Moses now your brother will be your prophet go in confidence I'm behind you I'm with you I have a plan nobody can thwart it or stop it I've come to deliver my people I've heard their cries the God of healing, the God of deliverance, he reveals himself as very, very compassionate and tender-hearted to his people, very acquainted with their griefs. He would go on to fulfill that in an absolute embodiment of the Godhead in the person of the Messiah, the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, just as it was prophesied in Isaiah 53. God is acquainted with the groaning of his people but he's also acquainted with our sins. He takes our burden upon him in all our afflictions. God is afflicted. He cares so much. If we can but know that, how it would help us to endure under the greatest trials. But my God is faithful. He will come through. Even if the waiting seems long and difficult, my God will come through. He will deliver. Hallelujah. 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 But this devil is not, not going to listen when you tell him, get away from me. I'm getting away from you. And the devil will say, oh, no, you don't. I'm going to harass you some more. I'm going to press you some more. I'm going to threaten you some more. I'm going to put my fear upon you more. The devil. God says, that's because the devil knows he has a short time. He's pulling out all the stops, unleashing everything he's got. And in spite of that, I'm going to crush him and deliver my people. Hallelujah. Because after all, God wants us to have freedom and enjoy freedom. Hallelujah. Through his blood, we can enjoy freedom. Through the blood of the Passover or Pesach lamb, we can enjoy this freedom. And the first plague upon Egypt was the blood that didn't work for them. 
They couldn't drink water. They couldn't carry on with life as normal as usual. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron. We're in Exodus chapter 7, verse 8. Saying, when Pharaoh speaks to you, saying, Show a miracle for yourselves. Then you shall say to Aaron, Take your rod and cast it before Pharaoh, and let it become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh, and they did so just as the Lord commanded. And Aaron cast down his rod, the staff, before Pharaoh and before his servants, and it became a snake, a serpent. Pharaoh also called the wise men and the sorcerers. So the magicians of Egypt, they also did in like manner with their enchantments, with their sorceries. And every man threw down his rod, and they became serpents. The enemy said, I can imitate that. You know why? Because the enemy does have power. He's absolutely no match for the Almighty God. However, he likes to flex his muscles to show that I can take God and I can match his power. I'll still keep his people in bondage these sorceries or secret arts came from the pit of hell. God shows his superiority. As the enemy seems to multiply, you have one rod that became a serpent. Not only can we match that, we'll exceed that. The devil said, look, don't listen to your God, Hezekiah, and all you people of Judah. The devil says to his necrot, and his spokesman. I have conquered and defeated many people much stronger than you. You think you can escape from me? He's an evil giant that tries to keep us in bondage. And God says, I will bind that giant, that strong man, and set my people free. And even though they seem to have more power, they did not. But Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods and Pharaoh's heart grew hard and did not heed them as the Lord had said if we can know God's word if we can be close to God like Moses was becoming he will give us revelation about how it's going to go before the final victory and there are people who say, you can't be harassed by the enemy. I'm a child of God. I'm loved and redeemed and protected. The enemy can't touch me. Those are the very people that get touched very, very strongly by the enemy. And they have a false understanding of how the nature of the battle goes in the spiritual domain. And how the Lord allows the enemy to do his thing so that he may show his great power and crush the enemy once and for all. There are believers who say a Christian can't 
be harassed by the enemy because we have more power than the enemy. A Christian can't get demon-possessed. It's impossible. They're the very people who get deceived by Satan into this self-complacent lifestyle with a false notion of their own power, albeit through the Lord, quote-unquote, and they're not watchful. And they get baited into Sodom and Gomorrah. Not only do they waste time, they waste their lives and they possibly could lose their souls. That's how deadly it is to listen to and yield to the false doctrine that because we have the Lord God, the devil cannot come to tempt or harass us. There is a flesh to contend with, a world, an enemy, Satan. And we have to be careful to obey God's voice and be intimately acquainted with him so that God can reveal every step of the plan how to successfully wage the battle against Satan and win every battle in the great war that he's already won. God has won for us. But we have responsibility to understand how the battle is going to go in every place in our journey. And not to be aloof or deceived and hide under some kind of cliche with false doctrine. God clearly is superior. God clearly has more power. The Lord clearly says that I have won the battle on the cross of Calvary I'm almighty God, and you will win. As I've won the war, you will win the battles, provided you follow me and you understand where the enemy lies in wait to ambush and which route to take in this particular battle, how to follow God's strategy every step of the way. It's so important, so vital, that we know God's blueprint for the battle plan and follow it exactly instead of assuming and sitting there thinking that I'm invincible and so I don't have to watch I don't have to pray I don't have to listen to counsel at every step of this battle among battles that I must face and win even though God has won the war for me I have to follow him I have to know his plan and how he will execute his plan, his blueprint, and how he will execute the enemy from before my face. God has sent people like Moses and Aaron to go ahead of us to direct the steps, to counsel. And it takes humility under the counsel of God to believe God and to be humble and to learn how learn how to follow exactly God's counsel. Often God will ask us to be on the alert and expect something that we didn't expect and to react and answer the challenge in a particular manner because only God has the blueprint for us to win every battle in this war. 
Only God can direct our steps to absolute victory. We must humble ourselves and listen. Moses and Aaron listened to everything God said. Just like their predecessor of faith, Abraham, Noah, Enoch, and Abel, predecessors of faith in the faith. Israel will learn God is not only very acquainted with our lives and the path we must take, He will teach us and show us if we but listen to Him humbly. Because they went from blaming God, went from not believing, to increasing in their understanding and trusting God, they began to humble themselves and obey God. They began to see God's glory more and more. God's glory more and more in our lives. Because even when the enemy seems to multiply his false miracles and his exercise of power over our lives by harassing us, God says, you be patient and trust me. I will come through. No matter how the enemy tries to multiply his forces against you, remember what the prophet said. To servant. They're more with us than with them. But what I see is just me and you, oh man of God. I see a whole host of this invading army all around us. We're surrounded. What should we do? What should we do? Alas, Master, what should we do? We're surrounded on every side. All these rods have become serpents, and I thought, what God did for me is so spectacular and I can't be stopped. And now, with all of the multiple, multiplication of problems, the enemy's forces against me, against my life, against my body, against my family, God says, what I did is too spectacular. It is too superior. Watch this. With many around, God began to reveal to the children of Israel as he did to his spokesman, his prophet. They're more with us than with the enemy. It may appear to be that two individuals, just two, stand in a palace full and surrounded by the glory of the devil, in his kingdom, his empire, his palace, the pharaoh, his title given to this wicked ruler, and all of his sorcerers, his armies. Someone said, one with God is a majority. Maybe one voice speaking. It may appear to be a lone voice. Nobody believes, really. and You may be the only believer, the only one whom God is with. That's enough. Because God will overcome Satan. No matter how much he multiplies his wonders, lying wonders, as the Bible calls it, God will show up and he will swallow up the enemy. He will destroy the enemy. This is what happened here. And as a result, just like God said, 
Satan becomes more furious. It's a showdown and a throwdown. God will come. And he will begin to act. The more the enemy acts, God will begin to show his might and his power upon the enemy. The enemy will surrender in shame before God and his people. This is what happens as we read the narrative of the scriptures in the lives of millions and millions of people who are called out of darkness and into God's marvelous light. We have the privilege of having the same legacy. That every turn in my life, God showed His great love and mercy and His great power to do miracles for me and miracles against the enemy by destroying Satan's power. It's miraculous. It's supernatural. And Pharaoh's heart grew hard and he did not heed them as the Lord had said. Exodus chapter 7 verse 13. I would like someone to take the opportunity this morning to read the word of God in a slow clear, loud enough voice, if you have a good connection, come and please read the remainder of this chapter as we listen closely. Verse 14, all the way down to verse 25. Exodus 7, 14 to 25. Verse 14, so the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hard. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning when he goes out to the water, and you you shall stand by the river's bank to meet him. And the rod which was turned to a serpent you shall take in your hand. And you shall say to him, The Lord God of the Hebrews has sent me to you, saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. But indeed, until now, you would not hear. Thus says the Lord, By this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, I will strike the waters which are in the river, with the rod that is in my hand, and they shall be turned to blood, and the fish that are in the river shall die. The river shall stink, and the Egyptians will loathe to drink the water of the river. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, said to Aaron, Take your rod and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over the streams, over the rivers, over the ponds, and over all their pools of water, that they may become blood, and there shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, both in buckets of wood and pitchers of stone. And Moses and Aaron did so, just as the Lord commanded. So he lifted up the rod and struck the waters that were in the river, in the sight of Pharaoh 
and in the sight of his servants. And all the waters that were in the river were turned to blood. The fish that were in the river died. The river stank, and the Egyptian could not drink the water of the river. So there was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. Then the magicians of Egypt did so with their enchantments, and Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not heed them, as the Lord had said. And Pharaoh turned and went into his house. Neither was his heart moved by this. So all the Egyptians dug all around the river for water to drink, because they could not drink the water of the river. And seven days passed after the Lord had struck the river. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. What a fearful thing to try to challenge God and to fight God. These people watched as God systematically broke down all of their defenses. Now remember that they had their gods of the land, of the plains, of the valleys. They had their god of the Nile River, the water. They had the sun god. They had a god for everything. Just like people today have gods. They worship many things. Literally worship things, materialism. Little children, keep yourselves from idols, the apostle says. We must not worship money, worship materialism, worship the quote-unquote finer things in life as advertised incessantly through magazines and through other media to intoxicate us and bait us while we think we're believers into doing what? Giving ourselves, showing the hands and saying, put the shackles on me, devil. I will serve materialism. I will serve money. I will serve power. But sorcery will always destroy the sorcerer. These people, it was one thing for them to come and say, look, you can turn your walking stick, your staff into a serpent. We can do that and more. Not just once, everything over here. You have a bunch of serpents. What are you going to do now? Well, what God's going to do is he will show his power. It doesn't matter how much you can multiply. You're all paper tigers. I'll just take you down in an instant. Try and imitate God's power from the place of darkness. Just like Simon the sorcerer and others that will come and just disarm the powers of darkness. And what do they do after this devastating first plague upon Egypt through the water turning into blood began to stink because death came to these people who tried to compete with God and oppress his people. I will read the same section in the New Living Translation, but as we'll see, the foolishness of the people in Egypt under Pharaoh, these sorcerers, to say, I can do that too. 
What do you achieve by doing that? You only make the river stink more. Instead of fearing God and saying, God is up to something, this, this God of the Hebrews, He's looking to wipe us out because we're oppressing His people. We better stop this right now. They became more foolish. And Pharaoh's heart became even more hard. For them to come and say, we can do it too, and turn more water into blood? How foolish. The sorcerer will be destroyed by the sorcery that he gives them to, that he that she gives herself to, that he gives himself to under Satan. The enemy will use people promising them success, promising power, promising pleasure, only to set them up to completely destroy them and take them to hell with him. But God comes and he says, I've come to give you life. Where the devil comes to steal and kill and destroy, steal our identity, our calling, our birthright, everything that is good, to open our eyes, to give us this eye solve, as he says in Revelation, to see I'm naked and wretched and miserable, even though I have a lot of clothing in my wardrobe, even though I have maybe fancy vehicles and fancy homes, a lot of money in the bank, and I can go get my nails done any time I want. I can go and, and buy all the food I'd like. I've got the power. God said it's all foolishness. Because those things don't concern your soul to give you life. Master, a man came, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. We have a little family feud here. He wants money and I want money. We have this money coming to us and I don't want to be shorted, Lord. Would you come and do something? Because I'm not after you as the master. I'm after the money. Can you help me, master, to get my money? Man, who made me a judge over you? Who made me someone to come and decide this for you? The Lord said, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. It's a bewitchment. Who has bewitched you, Paul asked the Galatians? How did you fall from grace? How do you stop living in the spirit and become carnally minded, earthly minded, and put such stock, such heavy stock in your material possessions, what you can feel and touch and taste and smell and hear? When you're created for another world and you're just passing through, don't settle down. Imagine if Abraham settled down and said, well, I've got me a piece of property here and I'm going to be very, very well pleased and settle down. And I know about the promise in the future, but my heart is really here. So I'm not going to be on the pilgrimage anymore. I think I'll just... Step out and step away for a little while, God. Let me enjoy my piece of the pie. God said, but this is not your home. I'm bringing you to a city whose builder and maker is God. You see, we have the ability to trade the glory of God and the promises of God, the miracles of God. We have the ability to forfeit the display of God's power in our lives and our families 
by being small-minded, unbelieving, and being impatient. That's a very dangerous thing to try to jump ahead of God because of lack of faith, lack of patience, and try to manipulate and get something my way. It always turns out sour and could possibly destroy us altogether. These sorcerers were bound by Satan. And they will get destroyed by the same devil that said, you got the power. Let me read from the New Living Translation, Exodus chapter 7 from verse 14. And the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is stubborn. And he still refuses to let the people go. So go to Pharaoh in the morning. As he goes down to the river, stand on the bank of the Nile, this famed river connected with their gods. Go right there and meet him. Be sure to take along the staff that turn into a snake. Then announce to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has sent me to tell you, let my people go so they can worship me in the wilderness. Until now, you have refused to listen to him. So this is what the Lord says. I will show you that I am the Lord. Look, I will strike the water of the Nile with this staff in my hand. And the river will turn to blood. The fish in it will die. And the river will stink. The Egyptians will not be able to drink any water from the Nile. When God gives a prophecy which includes not only promises for his people, but warnings and judgments for the people who are hypocrites in Zion, hypocrites in the church, and they rank among God's not only his enemies outside the church walls, but his enemies within the church walls. God has a word of warning. I'm about to do something. At that point, imagine if Pharaoh broke down and fell on his face. That I played the fool. I tried to compete with God. Your God is greater than all the gods of Egypt. I'm beginning to see. Oh, Moses, would you entreat God for me? Would you go to God? Would you pray to God for me? Like Simon the sorcerer, who believed. But then he was mischievous. This man did not believe at all. His mischief increased exponentially in the hardening of his heart. The wicked, proud man. When God pronounces something, through his prophets. I'm going to do something. Watch out. Don't think that God is not watching. Don't think that you can get away with it. God is warning you. It's best to surrender ourselves immediately and say, Lord, I played the fool. How can I ever compete with you? How can I come and do something against your will, Lord? And love my creaturely comfort and be unwilling to part from them. I've told the story, a true life story of a woman, more than one actually, who claimed to be a Christian 
And another one who didn't claim to be a Christian, both in two religions, it appeared, and the Christian tasted of the grace of God. So actually believed for a while, but loved the money and the gold. At the end of life, both of these women, one who had an experience with God, Another one who is an idol worshipper. They both died under the domination and bondage of covetousness. Being controlled by the idol that was in their lives called money. To the point where one would not disclose to her own husband where all the money was that she, she stashed away. That greed took her over. Came to the point, if I can't have it, nobody can have it. I'm going to die without sharing. Oh, what a miserly, wicked, self-destructive, corrupted life. Just consumes the person. And the other one insisted that some gold jewelry was literally ground into powder and put into a cup mixed with water and drank it before she died literally happened you think how foolish how can you even think that that's going to do something let alone drink it that's how the devil deceives people when they become bitter and angry and snarl and uh, become hostile against people who come near them because of fear that they're going to take my money they're going to take my wealth they're going to take all that I'm living for, the fancy pleasures of life. The Lord Jesus said, a man's life, a woman's life, a person's life does not consist in the abundance of what they have in the bank, what they have in their house, what they're wearing, how they appear. It's all not only vanity, it's foolishness that will destroy that person. It will take a hold of them. Those very things that they thought were under control, like that man that was playing with a bow constrictor, it'll grow to such a size and overpower and crush them. That's the truth. It's so horrifyingly sad. It repeats in the lives of people, even Christians. Unless we know, covetousness will take us to hell. Just like it says in First Corinthians 6. Immorality will take a person to hell, but so will greediness. So will this desire to be independent of God or manipulate God so that I can be God in my own life. How foolish. Until now, you refuse to listen to him. So this is what the Lord says. I will show you that I am the Lord. Look, I will strike the water of the Nile with the staff in my hand and the river will turn to blood. The fish in it will die and the river will stink. The Egyptians will not be able to drink any water from the Nile. God is a God of great power, but a God of great mercy. How many of us began to fear God when we began to see not only that it's a losing battle to fight against the living God, but how can I refuse His mercy? Oh, this forgiveness with you that you may be feared, the psalmist says. You're so awesome. You're willing to forgive me. I'm no good. I'm a wretch. I'm miserable. I'm naked and blind. I'm just totally 
out there, Lord. I've messed up again. And the more I try to do my own thing, Lord, the deeper I fall into the pit. Oh, is there hope for me, Lord? Do you love me? Will you help me? God says, yes. But you've got to R-E-P-E-N-T. You've got to do, not a 360, end up where you started from. Full circle, but do a 180. Go opposite. Everything that you've done, wage war against that sinfulness in your life with a vengeance. Do the opposite. Don't give your body what it craves, but control the body by the spirit that I've given you so that the body can serve God's purposes, not take you down a path of self-destruction. And destroying other people's lives. The devil's a liar. People like to say that the devil is a liar. We ought to say that it's true. Jesus said that. Remind ourselves that there's nothing good from that fellow. That evil one. And everything he has in his warehouse. In his treasury. Is meant to destroy us. It's a bait. I'm not going to be set up by Satan anymore. To fall. But how many of us are living a lie. Because we like to call the devil names, even if it fits them well. And yet we live a lie. Why? And how? By worshipping money. Oh, no, 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 no. I give to God. I give. But how is it in your heart of hearts? And wouldn't it be the most horrible thing if the true colors come out, especially in the end, where that evil spirit just overpowers the individual as they're dying? And they can't part with the money. They begin to scream and crave for money. They refuse to share that money. It has dominated their lives. It'll take them to hell. Same thing with immorality and sorcery. Dabbling in things that are dark. And drugs and alcohol. And crystal balls and horoscopes. And in doing our own thing. That's living a lie. The devil is a liar. God says, don't partner with him. Oh, no, no, Lord. I I know the truth. Do you really know the truth? Has it become a changing agent in your life? Only those people really know the truth. When the truth has transformed them. The others, they're just hearsay. It's just hearsay. It's just regurgitating and repeating like a parrot what they heard. Doesn't transform them. What parrot ever gained wisdom? You can train certain birds and certain creatures to mimic and imitate even the greatest statements that we've ever heard. But does it transform them? No. It's just flattery. When a person quotes God's word but doesn't obey it, God says, I don't want that. The very word will judge that person who presumes and dares to take my word upon their lips without obeying it. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, it's time for action now. I warned them. I don't hear any repentance. I don't hear Pharaoh saying, wait, 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 wait. I've had enough, please. I can see we're about to be destroyed. Your God is the living God. Would you please, please pray to God for me. God said this fellow is so evil that even 
when the worst things happen to his people, right in front of his eyes and to his family, he will say, I will not bow down to God. And that's why I will utterly destroy him. It goes down to the lowest hell. And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, take your staff and raise your hand over the waters of Egypt. All its rivers, canals, ponds, and all the reservoirs. Imagine that. Blood coming through your tap. Every tap, every sink filled with blood. Every water source. And you run outside and you call the town, you call the city. And they say, well, we got blood in our reservoirs. Blood everywhere. No water to drink. This was not enough to stop this madman, Pharaoh. God said through Moses to Aaron, turn all the water to blood. Everywhere in Egypt, the water will turn to blood. Even the water stored in wooden bowls and stone pots. Wow. So it wasn't just that river. The entire land filled with blood instead of water everywhere water could be found it's a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God so Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord commanded them as Pharaoh and all of his officials watched Aaron raised the staff and struck the water of the Nile and suddenly the whole river turned to blood what a sight this long river this huge river this famous river the entire thing turning into blood this river this Nile River which is said to be some 4,000 miles long the longest river in the entire world the next runner up being the Amazon River God struck this river 4,000 miles of blood and everything in Egypt every water source becomes blood can we understand the magnitude of this miracle this wonder this plague upon the people who hated God this magician's these witches and wizards and sorcerers. God said, now I'm going to stop the show. All that you guys have been doing, you've been building your science, your technology, your creature comforts, and a lot of prosperity. You thought I wasn't watching. You thought, where's God? Just like the Tower of Babel, I'm coming down here. I'm going to stop the show of Satan. I'm going to set my people free and put the enemy to shame. Hallelujah. God still does the same thing. All who believe, all who love God, all who give themselves over to God. This whole river turned to blood. But again, while the fish in the river died, and the waters became so foul that the Egyptians couldn't drink it, blood was everywhere in the land of Egypt. The magicians come along, Oh, Pharaoh, that's nothing. Look, see this bowl of water here, this cup of water? Watch this, Pharaoh. And we can do it too. It becomes blood. 
apparently the effect of that plague had it reached everywhere. And in the midst of that, the devil deceives these people so that they think that by imitating that, we're going to be more glorious when there are more fools deceived, causing more damage to themselves. This is exactly what magic and witchcraft, there's no such thing as white witchcraft or good witchcraft. It's all evil, and everybody who practices it, practices it will be destroyed by it unless they repent, unless they take the window of opportunity to repent while there's still time. It's possible for a person who's breathing to go beyond the point of repentance. That's the most horrific thing. For somebody to say, as long as you have breath in your lungs, you can repent, it's actually not the case, as we see clearly with Pharaoh. There's a point of no return, and we must take advantage of the opportunity and say, Lord, I, I will not fight you anymore. I will not be deceived and love and worship money or live independent from you. Act as if I'm a god and goddess. I'm using God's name to get my ends met. How foolish that very attitude, that very lifestyle will destroy that person. God will have the last laugh. We have to fear the Lord and say, Lord, i got to change my ways. Every time the Christian hears a message from the Lord, reads the word, and God says, you've got to tighten up this area over here. You have problems over here. He told Ephesus, you have a problem over here. He told Sardis. He told Laodicea. He told Thyatira. He told Pergamos. Be careful, you have problems over here. Otherwise, I'll come and put out your lamp. It's a serious thing. Don't think that because the sin is small, there's only a little bit of problem deviation. That little deviation can take you to a wrong destination. We need to be humble and say, Lord, I'm never going to think I've arrived where I don't have to clean up anymore. The sanctification continues and I've got to put my heart and soul into it and say, Lord, I may not have time left to make the changes that I should have made as you spoke to me, when you spoke to me. Oh my God. Thank you for showing me. I better be busy making sure I humble myself to do what God says, not manipulate the word or my religion or God to get what I want. Because God will have the last laugh against such people who are hypocrites in Zion. So again, the magicians of Egypt used their magic and they too turned water into blood so Pharaoh's heart remained hard. He refused to listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had predicted. Pharaoh returned to his palace and put the whole thing out of his mind. Then all the Egyptians dug along the riverbank to find drinking water, but they couldn't drink the water from the Nile. Look at the desperation. You'd think that he would look outside and get reports. Everybody's crying for water. You yourself need water. They're trying to get water for you. He says, oh, well, I'm going to go watch a movie now. I know, I heard the sermon. but Right now, I want to go eat some peanuts, just amount of salt that I'd like, and dry roasted and whatever. And I'm going to just distract myself. I'm going to go play soccer. I'm going to watch a movie. I'm going to go call my friend. I'm going to 
think about what I have to do in the house and on the job and my hobby and my pursuits, thinking that they can shut God down and escape God's commandments and his judgments, you see how foolish this, perhaps the most powerful man on the earth, humanly speaking, was another fool. Because of him, he not only destroyed himself and his family, but his whole country was being devastated. Such is the result in anyone's life, in the life of their circle of influence, when they refuse to surrender to God. It's bound to affect the marriage, the children, everything. But when I come to God like a little child and say, Lord, I'm so sorry. I played the fool too much. Lord, please, is there mercy for me? Will you forgive me, Lord? I really don't want to live against you. God, I can see that in your mercy you've spared me so many times in spite of my foolishness, in spite of my rebellion against the Holy God, my God, no more. I've woken up, Lord. Please take me. Please change me. Oh, will you change me? Will you have mercy on me? Thank God he's a loving God. He's the real God, full of mercy, that he will begin to change us. But Pharaoh, it was impossible for this guy because he came to that point deliberately God didn't make it impossible. He made it impossible for himself because he was already evil and already determined that I will defy God to the last second to my dying breath. God said, is that right? So you shall have your way. But I'll soundly defeat you to your dying breath. You go to your destination, just like Judas. Seven days passed from the time the Lord struck the now. It's number seven. God does a perfect destruction of the enemy. Everything God does is perfect. We need to be on that side of God where His perfect love perfects us. His perfect Holy Spirit perfects us. His perfect power perfectly delivers us and perfectly prospers us. That's the kind of perfection we want. Not the perfect destruction that comes upon God's enemies. Utter destruction. Complete destruction. God says, as we heard from the book of Nahum recently in the Sunday sermon, I will strike one time. There will be no need for a second blow. That's exactly what God said. Oh, he's a God who's awesome. He will take care of all our enemies. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. As we're going to see as we keep reading, as we will see, the Israelites will sing and dance, and Moses and Aaron's sister will have the tambourine. Oh, they will sing. Say, the horse and the rider he's cast into the midst of the sea. God has defeated our enemies, and we're free. Hallelujah. Free. Free indeed. Thank God Almighty. We're free. We will be free from all of the afflictions, all of the torments. God draws us even closer to himself with every trial and everything the enemy tries to do can turn into triumph for the child of God who learns to wait upon God, believe God, not badmouth God, trust God and obey God and follow through carefully, just like the Israelites will do with the Passover. Every precise instruction 
carefully followed, and they got the total victory. Praise be to God. So will we. Shall we pray? I'd like to ask someone else to pray, actually. If the Lord's spoken to you, then I'll conclude. Praise be to God.